Thank you for tuning in to the latest message from Island Church, Dundalk. I want to jump back into what I've been talking about here, just about humility, talking about, you know, um, the importance of it in the body of Christ. And, you know, the Lord has led me in this direction for a reason. You know, at the end of last year, when I began to pray about, you know, how he wanted me to close out the year as a, how he wanted us to close out the year as a body as a church and enter into next year what did he want us to work towards what do, and you know we all have different things we're believing God for we all have different things we want to grow in and and reach this year and this is where he brought me because this is what it's going to take it's going to take us to humble ourselves under his mighty hand because he's the one that's mighty and when we humble ourselves underneath his mighty hand there's a grace there to get us to where we need to be. And that's what it's all about. Amen. So this is what I've been teaching on for a number of weeks. And more recently, the dangers of pride, which is the opposite of humility. Right? Um, and the deeper I get into these things, the more I understand how these things, they're absolutely necessary to the Christian walk. You know, a Christian that humbles, it, it, it's necessary. We need to humble ourselves continually. Um, it's a deep place of surrender, and it's w- where his will can be sought after and implemented. And these are the, some of the things we've looked at. And it's impossible to do what we've been asked to do without it. You know, Jesus, if you look through the Gospels and, and the time he had with his disciples, especially, you know, his inner circle, those he was, he was most intimate with, they asked him questions continually, you know, about greatness, about success, and all. And we read all of these. Jesus taught frequently about humility. And he didn't, he didn't just teach these things, he lived it. He showed them what it was like to be a servant. He showed them what it was like to become low in order to build others up and, you know, help other people and love on other people. And that's what we're called to do, right? So he, he lived these things. It's one of a, you know, it's not a, you know, a wee side message that we can look at now. You know, it's, it was one of the core messages that Jesus taught. And it was something that was like lived through by him. So, or lived through him, should I say. So, he taught them on humility because he wanted them to realize that what was up ahead of them was not only going to require an understanding of the importance of humility and surrender, but also an obedience to walk in it. He was trying to teach them obedience. Right? Well, this is what it's going to require, but then you need to obey and, and, and walk in it. You see, and this, the same thing applies to every disciple of Jesus. It's about taking what we hear from the Word of God concerning these things and concerning anything in the Word of God and actually doing something with it. That's why the Bible says we're not to be hearers only, but to be doers of the Word. Okay, so we start by hearing the Word and then we have to do it. We have to act upon it. Okay, so this is what he was teaching them humility. He was revealing to them how, how important it was. And then he was requiring an obedience from them to actually write. Then, now you need to put it into practice. And it's the same for us. It's about obediently responding to 1 Peter 5, 6, which is one of our scriptures which we've looked at, which tells us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he will exalt us in due time. You know, the best kind, the, the best way for us to be lifted up and exalted is if when the Lord does it. See, we can self-exalt. We can, you know, build ourselves up. But, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not, that's not good, right? And it's not eternal. It doesn't last, right? But when Jesus exalts us, that's when it's, that's when, that's wonderful. And it's eternal. Amen? Um, a life lived for him is a life that spends every single day doing what glorifies him and makes him known. Amen. Spending every day to glorify him and make him known, not ourselves and to make ourselves known or to give ourselves a name and so on and so forth. So in order for this to happen, we need to come to the deep place of surrender. Let's go back to 1 Peter 5. I want to read a verse to you here. In 1 Peter 5, okay, it says, I'll read from verse 5, it says, Likewise, you younger people, all you younger people in here, amen, you're all so young, 
<laughs> you know, look wonderful. Submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And another one we looked at was James 4, 6, which is, you know, he says the same, same things here. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And then, I, you know, there's a current of grace for those who choose to humble themselves. And as we remain surrendered unto him, his grace carries us. But the key, church, listen to this, is in the surrender. Because the current is not forceful. It's a choice. It doesn't f- take you somewhere against your will. That's not what grace is all about. Grace is there if we choose to accept it and walk in it. Okay? So, but we need to remain surrendered. So, you know, and that's something the Lord has been just, I believe, really wanting to get into the body in 2024. We want more. We need more surrender. Amen? It comes back to that. We need more surrender. Because if we're not surrendered enough, we can't, we can't utilize or we can't, do what we're supposed to do with what he gives us if we're not more, if we're not surrendered more onto him okay so it's not a forceful thing that carries us against our will it's a, it's the fullness of his grace that is available to those who willingly choose to yield to it right and there's a strength found in this place and i've been talking about these things where everything is about him and not about us now go back with me to Matthew 7. Everything is about him. And aren't, I'm, I, aren't you glad though that it's about him? Because, you know, there's less eyes on us, the better. You know? We don't want people, I don't want people to look to me. I don't want people, look at, we're going to mess up at times. And I don't want to be responsible for somebody else's fall because when we exalt man that's what happens when man falls we fall but when we keep our eyes on Jesus he'll never let us down he'll never fall or falter or fail or make a mistake or any of those things so when our eyes are fixed on him church we 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 keep ourselves right right so um in Matthew 7 it talks about here let me read verse 13 Jesus said enter by the narrow gate (laughs) for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction and there are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way say difficult is the way (laughs) which leads to life there are few who find it okay so because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, there are few who find it. So the life spoken about here is the Zoe life. That's the life of Christ, right? It's that life that we find in him. And this life, let me get this straight, it's not hidden. This is not what this is talking about, that you're, it's sending you, you know, on this, impos- and this you know, hunt that, is, that you cannot reach right? It's not impossible. It's not hidden for that reason. God is not keeping this from certain people because 2 Peter 3, 9 and other verses tell us that he's willing for none to perish, but all to come to repentance, all to come to know him. It's not, he doesn't pick and choose. No, you're going you're gonna to enter this way, but I'm not accepting you. You're gonna, no, everybody has a choice. Everybody is presented with a choice, okay? So, Why do few find it, as it states in this verse? It's because they're looking for it in the wrong place. Few find it because they're looking in the wrong place. This life is not hidden from you, it's hidden for you. It's hidden for you. True discipleship, church, is not popular. I I taught on this a couple of weeks ago about discipleship and what it actually means. True discipleship is not popular. It requires a humility. It requires a self-denial. And it requires an effort. Okay? The Zoe life of Christ is not found in one's self-desires. It's not found in our self-promotion or our gathering of material wealth. This worthless accumulation of stuff that don't really matter. 
That's not where the Zoe life of God, but see, that's where many people try and find it. They find it in the carnal things of this earth. And that's why few find it, because they're looking in the wrong place. It's found, where is it found? It's found in laying your life down, including all of those things which I mentioned, all of your self-desires, that want for self-promotion, that want for things, so that you can be raised up with Christ. Because we cannot be raised up to life unless we're first buried. In order to be raised to life with Christ, we must, Jesus was the firstborn. So he was, he died and was buried and he rose to life so that we could, so that he could make a way for us to do so. He was the firstborn in our family. See, we're all part of a family. A beautiful family. We all look so different. There's so much diversity, but we're one because the blood of Jesus makes us one. But he was the firstborn. So he was buried and rose to life so that we could be buried and, rose to, and raised to life. And that's, that's where his life is found. A couple of chapters, I won't turn there just for time's sake, but a couple of chapters over in Matthew 19. Because as I was thinking, this is what the Lord brought up to me about about these things. A couple of chapters over in Matthew 19, we find the account of the rich young ruler. Right? Jesus, what was he doing? He was revealing the cost of eternal life. Right? There's a cost. The cost is surrender. Right? The salva- our, our salvation is free. It's a, it's a grace gift, but it'll cost you your life because you need to lay it down. And we need to count the cost, which is another teaching that the Lord regularly taught that we seem to gloss over at times, right? We need to count the cost. So this, the cost is true surrender. The rich young ruler, look at, he wasn't looking to Jesus as a savior. He, he approached him and, you know, he said, I've, I've done all these things since I was a young boy. But he wasn't looking to Jesus as a savior. He was looking to himself as a savior because he was trusting in his own works, in his own ability, in his own righteous actions. And that's where Jesus was trying to shift his focus. He wasn't, he wasn't looking at the only one who could truly save him. Finally, in an attempt to get this guy where he needed to be, Jesus said to him, let go of these earthly riches and possessions. Go and sell it all and come and follow me. But he couldn't do it. It says he walked away sorrowful for he had many possessions. He was, he was prideful, church. Everything was about him and what he had he lacked the ability to deny himself. He did have the ability, actually, but he just chose not to. Because we all have that. We all have a choice. But he lacked self-denial. He refused to fully surrender and lay his life down. Therefore, he couldn't accept, receive and accept this eternal life. And like us all, Jesus presented him with a choice. The way to life may be narrow and difficult, but there is a current of grace available to those who make the right choice. There's a current of grace available that when we choose, Lord, I choose to surrender all. I choose to let go of what I think I need to do or what I want to do or these things that I'm desiring. I choose to let go of all of these things. And at times, let me tell you this, there's times where people listen to this and they think I'm going to have to give up you know this my job and all of these other things and it's not always the case sometimes Jesus just wants your yes now there is times where he'll shift you into different things and that's why you need to be fully yielded not just to the degree of when he tells you to do something you don't want to do but he just wants your yes and when he knows he has your heart Maybe you're, you're, you're on the right path as it is. Maybe that is where he needs you to be for this season. And it's not as if everything's going to change overnight. Do you get me? Sometimes he just wants your heart. He just, all the time he just wants your heart. He just wants your yes. When he gets your yes, 
then, oh, church, I'm telling you, everything changes. That grace is there and to take you where you need to be. And it's no longer this effort and this striving and this working around the clock to, to be successful. Jesus calls you that. Jesus is, is there. When we choose to deny and humble ourselves, we're met with this grace that carries us through every difficult situation and circumstance. The power is not in your own ability and your own works. The rich young ruler had many things. He, was, he kept these commandments so well. He had so much wealth and material possessions. He had, you know, stature. He was well received by men or whatever. And he had all of these things, acceptance. But he was so poor in the eyes of Jesus. He was so poor in the eyes of Jesus. It's the power is in the current which is pulling us along. It's in his grace. It's a wonderful promise from the word of God that there is grace, favor to those who are humble. So I started talking about pride and how it's the opposite of humility. You know pride has I at the center of, it, of the word. Pride is about I. It's about I. It should come with a warning sign. I heard somebody say that before. It's like, you know, do you ever come across those properties that have a beware, there's a dog? Beware. And that's stay away. Enter at your own peril. Pride should come with a warning sign. Because it is so dangerous. So, so dangerous. But as we've been looking at, and as, we, as I've been teaching here, it's subtle. It's not always obvious, and sometimes we're in pride and we don't even know. But thank God for Holy Spirit. Amen. So it should come with this warning sign. Why, church? Because it's the door that leads to other sin. It leads to so much other sin, right? In 1 Peter 5, it tells us that God resists the pride. And I was looking at this verse in recent weeks. You know, but this, listen, this English translation of uh, this word resist, like it doesn't give it justice of what this is actually saying on what the Holy Spirit was actually writing here. Resist in Greek, it was actually a military term and it, it was, it actually means to range in battle against, to set oneself against so, God ranges in battle against the pride. Let that sink in for a moment. God arranges himself in battle against those who are prideful. So when we grasp the true meaning of this word, it, it begins to carry a bit more weight. We're actually at war against God when we're in pride. And we're never going to win. <laughs> we're never going to win. It's a scary thought, church. There's a quote, and it's from C.S. Lewis. And he talked about pride. He says, pride is the complete anti-God state of mind. It is the great sin that leads to all other sins. Pride is the anti-Christ, anti-God state of mind. So just like pride, sin also has I at the middle. S-I-N. Sin, it's centered around us. Right? Temptation comes when one is drawn away and enticed by what? Our own desires. Temptation comes when one is drawn away and enticed by our own desires. Because if we're not driven by our desires, we won't be tempted in the first place. That's where temptation comes from. Temptation comes when one is drawn away and enticed. And that, when that self-desire, it, it conceives something, sin's birthed. When that desire is 
planted in our hearts, it brings forth sin, right? Notice the key word again, itself. You know, sin originated in the garden from selfish desire. That's where it came from. And that's how it continues to have a part to play in the lives of those who entertain it. Because why? They're dominated by self. When we're walking in sin, it's because we're dominated by self. Pride is dangerous because it opens the door for sin. And let me remind you, Proverbs 16, 5. Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. These, th- th- this is strong. <laughs> like, in the Passion it says, exalting yourself is disgusting to the Lord. For pride attracts his punishment and you can count on that. Church, I'm just trying to issue a warning here. Right? Because we need to be warned of these things. And get across how important it is that we deal with pride in our hearts. But like I said, thankfully we have Holy Spirit who will always reveal any pride that may be there if we're willing to hear, if we're willing to come to the place where, Lord, show me if there is. And do even looking at these things, studying these things out, it's encouraged me to be asking the Lord. And let me tell you, he showed me things. So there's going to be areas in all of our lives where you know, we're dealing with some things, right? Um, But we have his grace to empower us to change. We're not doing it on our own, right? We don't have to, you know, we don't have to try and turn things around by ourselves. We just lean on him. Remember, that was the word he gave us at the start of this year. We need to lean more. We need to lean more. That's another sign of humility because you're not trying to carry, you're you're not recognizing that you can do it by yourself, you're recognizing God can do it. So you're leaning more on him. You're recognizing that you can't do it and you need him. Right? So we've been taking some time to look at examples throughout the word of God and discover how pride can so easily creep in undetected. We look at some kings from the Old Testament and we looked at how they started off well, pride came in and it led to their destructive fall. It always leads to a destructive fall. Uh, But I would rather, much rather, (laughs) lean on the Lord's grace than lean on my own strength. I would much, much, much rather swim in the current of his grace than try and get there freestyling myself. (laughs) Backstroke, breaststroke, whatever. I'd rather him carry me, right? Because you know what's going to happen? We'll get worn out. When When we frustrate the grace of God, we wear ourselves out. And it leads to us walking away. I believe this humility message is so relevant to our generation. And as the body of Christ, we need to grab a hold of it in order to move to a higher level. In order to just progress to this, uh, this level of maturity in Christ. But as long as we entertain any form of pride in our lives, we can never truly fulfill what God has asked us to do. Turn to me to Galatians 5. I want to read something to you here. Um, This is what I want to talk about here for a few moments this morning. Speaking about grace here and how God's empowered us. Galatians is a wonderful book. You know, it's, it's, it's been often nicknamed the grace gospel. It reveals the grace of God to us in such a wonderful way. But here in chapter 5 of Galatians, you know, um, it's talking about how, how we should be using the liberty that we have in Christ. You see, the liberty that we have is, a, is the freedom that we have in Christ. But th- this freedom, is, it's, it's, to be, it's to be used in a certain way. And it's to live in such a way that glorifies God, right? This freedom that we have in Christ is not um, a hall pass, so that we can do what we want. It's a freedom that we have so that we can do what pleases him. And we're empowered to do so. Right? This is what, this is what grace is all about. But I want to point something out to you here. As the Lord begins to reveal something on, about love. Right? So in Galatians chapter 5, it's talking about love. How, that's, how love actually fulfills the law. But in verse 13, it says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. This is the freedom that we have, that God has made us free 
from self-indulgence and, and, and our walk, and it empowers us to walk in, in love. But it says, you've been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's pointing back to love here. You know we're graced to love? The grace of God empowers us to love, right? And love needs to be at the center of our walk. Love needs to be, you know, what we walk in every day. And I believe, and I'm, I'm not going in that particular direction, but there's, there's a, you know, love, how the word of God describes love, right? Because love that comes about from, from this message of how we're graced to love, it often gets mis, misplaced and it is wrongly taught that love is, is widespread acceptance, of no matter what we do, you know, it's accepted by God, right? And love is not, God's kind of love is not the same as acceptance, right? There is acceptance in Christ and in his love, but, you know, when we surrender and submit to the love of God, it empowers us to change. That's what the power of love is. The power that's in love is it empowers us to change, when we came into contact with God's love, we were sinners. But let me tell you, church, we don't stay sinners. There has to be a change. If there's no change, then there wasn't a true encounter. Do you get what I'm saying? The love of God empowered us to change. So when we come into contact with the love of God, there, there needs to be a change there. Right? Because... It's, his love is so pure, it is so holy, it is so wonderful that it's, it just, it shows us even that we need to change. And as I began to think of these things, you know, how we've been called to love, how, you know, the word of God teaches us that that's how people are going to know that we're disciples, is that how we love one another, and so on and so forth. I began to think about, unless we're at this place of humility, unless we've chosen to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, we can't love like we're meant to love. If pride is at play in our hearts, that's going to hinder us from, from loving, right? Our desire for knowledge can often lead us to a dangerous place. So we teach on these things. I teach on these things here in church about the importance of renewing your mind, the, the importance of, you know, um, gaining more knowledge. And it, yes, it is necessary. Yes, it is important. But the hard attitude and the motive behind it needs to be right. Right? Because a lot of the times, the this pursuit of knowledge leads us into pride. Right? Because the knowledge of God's word without love is a destructive, for is a destructive force. The knowledge of God's word without love is a destructive force. Sharon just said at the start of the service how Saul, when he was Paul, when Paul, when he was Saul, he had a lot of knowledge, but it led him to do a lot of destructive things. Why? Because he didn't encounter the love of God. He had a wealth of knowledge, but it led him to do destructive things because it wasn't mixed with love. Right? What this knowledge does without love is it puffs us up with pride. Knowing scripture and rightly dividing it are two different things. We can know a lot of scripture, but that doesn't mean that we're interpreting it properly, and it doesn't mean that we're dividing it properly. The hunt for knowledge that leads to pride tries to justify unrighteous actions, right? We get into offense, we get into unforgiveness. You know, and people who say, oh, yeah, you know, 
I'm not interested in listening to that. You know, I've heard everything about offence and, you know, do you ever talk about anything else? Well, that's a pretty sure sign that you're offended. Right? So this is what the Holy Spirit is needing us to get to this place. That, you know, this hunt for knowledge, knowing scripture, you know, that this, that it leads to pride and that what the pride does, because it's self-focused, it only thinks about itself, it tries to justify unrighteous actions like unforgiveness and offense. And you could be walking in those things and you don't even know. Because you've justified it for so long that you th you've actually convinced yourself that you're right. Right? Rather than leading what it's supposed to do, our hunt for knowledge, when we gain the knowledge and it couples with his love, it leads us to that place of defeated Jesus and at that place of repentance, which is what I talked about last week. It's necessary to the Christian walk. 1 Corinthians 8, turn with me there, we're going to be going there for, in a second, but 1 Corinthians 8, it talks about how knowledge puffs up. Knowledge puffs up, right? It's necessary, it's a good thing because it, it leads to understanding, it leads to, you know, coming to that place of understanding the Word of God, but let me ask you this question, and I want you to ask yourself this, what do you desire knowledge for? What do you desire knowledge for? Is your pursuit of Jesus centered around becoming more like him? Or is it centered around how you can benefit from being closer to him and knowing more? Because the more we know, the more we can receive at times, right? So knowledge has its benefits. But our hearts need to be centered around this church. We need to be centered around learning more in order to love more. We need to learn more so that we can love more. That is the purpose of it, is, is love, right? A lack of humility will, will hinder us from loving this way, like we're meant to love. Pride, what does pride do? It craves more knowledge for self-gain, self-promotion, right? Humility leads to love for the benefit and advancement of others. We humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. We say, Lord, I, I'm surrendering myself to you. I, you don't see yourself as anything, but in Christ you know who you are, because that's true humility. And you've come to this place where you've humbled yourself under the mighty hand of God, and then you're able to walk in, the, walk in love to the degree that he wants us to. The heart of God is love. He, he is love. And the more we learn about him, the more we learn to love. Um, like I said in John 13, it says, talks about how Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, in verse 34, that you love one another. As I have loved you. Now he gives the standard. We're to love one another as, as he's loved us. That you also love one another. See, Jesus' love doesn't depend on your performance. He doesn't love you for who you are. He loves you because who he is. So, it doesn't depend on your performance. It doesn't depend on your actions and how good you are. He loves you anyway. But he says, by this all will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. So when we're self-focused, when we're in pride, we're self-focused. And it's only when we humble ourselves that we can begin to love like God loves. First John, right? So that was the gospel of John reveals to us about scriptures about love. First John is a wonderful book that reveals the uncompromising love of God. You see, that's the thing. Love is uncompromising. True love, God kind of love, it doesn't compromise for the sake of acceptance, right? God's love says, yes, come as you are, but we don't stay as we are. We change and we're made more like him. That's what love, love, the love of God empowers us to change. So this is a wonderful book. It gives us wonderful instruction and, and 
wonderful knowledge on this subject. So I, I, I encourage you to, to read it as well and meditate on this book. But in chapter 4 of 1 John, I want to read this, these verses to you in verse 12. It says, No one has seen God at any time. No one has seen God at any time. Right? But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. No one has ever gazed upon the fullness of God's splendor. But when we humbly walk in love with one another as we're commanded to, people can see him through our walk of love. Isn't that a wonderful truth? How when we walk in love with, to, towards one another, people can, can see God at work in our lives. And as the body of Christ, if we can stay humble and walk this way, we can reveal God to the world. Right? Pride causes disunity, division, and all kinds of sin. Right? And if we're, if we're, if we're yielding to these things and allowing these things to have a place in our heart, we're failing at what the Lord has commanded us to do, and that's love. He's commanded us to love. So, I said to you a minute ago, turn to 1 Corinthians 8. I want to read a couple of verses to you here. To give you a bit of a background here, you know, Paul is addressing this, these believers at the church here, and in this day, Corinth, you know, it was, you know, it was right at the center of a lot of pagan customs. There was a lot of religions that, that you know, um, done these sacrifices to their gods. So they would take food and they would use it as a sacrifice to their god, right? But a lot of the times, you know, um, this food was distributed, whether it be at marketplaces or whatever, for, you know, consumer purchase. So people could, could buy this food, this meat, that had been offered to idols. So what this done was, what these pagan rituals and stuff done was, it led people to worship idols, right? And Paul was addressing these things because there was questions coming to him from the believers at Corinth as to say, some of us think this meat is okay to eat, some of us don't because it's been, it's been sacrificed to idols and they thought they were defiling themselves this way, right? So this is the background of it. So Paul says, concerning these things, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies, which means it builds, it matures. If anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing, <laughs> yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. When we love God, we're known by him. Right? So Paul had to address these things because it was causing division, like strife in the church among believers. Those who were knowledgeable and aware of the truth felt it was perfectly good meat regardless of what had been done to it beforehand, while others who may not have known a lot felt, no, it's not good to be consuming this, right? It's defiled. So Paul was teaching the believers here that it wasn't about who was right or wrong concerning, see, they were arguing about the wrong thing. They were arguing about whether this meat is okay or whether it's not okay. And what Paul was revealing to them was, it's not about whether we're right or wrong concerning this food. It's about how your actions are affecting one another. It's about how your actions are affecting your brothers and sisters. So it wasn't just about people who were eating the meat. It was also about the weaker people who were seeing them do it. Do you get me? It was about the people that were observing them. They were being affected. Right? So the Corinthians here that were eating the meat were right in what they were saying, right? Paul goes on to say, you know, concerning these things, we know that an idol is nothing in this world, that there's no other God but one, um, you know, for, for um, 
these so-called gods, whether they're in heaven or on earth, um, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we are for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom, through whom all are all things and through whom we live. So this, the people who were eating this food, they weren't wrong. Right? There was nothing wrong with it, as in they knew the truth. You know, and even today, you know, we know when we bless our food, and, and these, you know, we know the truth of God's word. Right? We know the power of God is greater than anything else. Right? So, but what was wrong was they had the wrong heart attitude. Their knowledge or what they thought they knew had become more important than walking in love. You see, the ones that were over here saying, no, this is okay. We know. Listen, we know. And yes, they were right in what they knew. But what they knew, their knowledge, had become more important than walking in love to those who didn't know. And it was causing the weaker ones to stumble. Right? Verse 9 to 13, it says... But beware lest somehow this liberty, remember how we're supposed to use our liberty, it says in Galatians 5, to love one another. But Paul's saying here, beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating at this temple of an idol, will not the conscience of him who is weak be affected? And eat those things that are sacrificed to idols. Because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. (laughs) But when you thus sin against the brethren who wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Like, let me just give you this, right? When we read about the Apostle Paul and different things, you know, many people... You know, he, he wrote so much of the New Testament and, you know, we, what do you think of? You think of, oh, his great faith. You think of his, you know, wealth of knowledge. You think of his authority. And all of these things are true. But one thing that I can't help but see every time I read the epistles that he penned is his paternal love. His paternal love was a feature that just jumps out. In Romans 9, this is what he said. I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying. So this was not an exaggeration, right? He's telling the truth and he says, the Holy Spirit's bearing me witness, that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. He's talking about his fellow Jews. He's talking about those who have rejected the Savior. I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. And in another translation, it says, my Jewish family, I feel such great sorrow and heartache for you that never leaves me. God knows these deep feelings within me as long as for you to come to faith in the anointed one. My conscience will not let me speak anything but the truth. For my grief is so intense that I wish that I could be accursed cut off from the Messiah if it would mean that you would come to faith in him. Now, church, I don't even know where to put that. This is the level of Paul's paternal love. The love of God that I have in my heart for people that I'm continuing to grow into and walk in. Like, I love every single one of you. But for me to stand here and say, I would want to be cut off from Messiah, that's, uh, this, is, this is how we're meant to love, church. Paul's heart ached for the lost. When was the last time that you cried for the lost? When was the last time that we grieved for those who do not know Christ? Because when we come to the place of that receiving his love, walking in the fullness of his love, we cannot help 
but ache on the inside for those who haven't got to this place yet. Because why? Because we know what's up ahead for them. And Paul knew what was up ahead for these people, his fellow countrymen. And he says, I would rather be cut off if it meant you could come to know Christ. Church, I don't think I'll ever understand that fully until I go home to be with the Lord. But all I know is this is a bar that we need to be working towards. Pride will never allow us to get there. Because we'll always only be after number one. Protecting ourselves instead of loving like we're supposed to love. It's true that our knowledge of the word can bring liberty. It does bring so much freedom. But that liberty is not more important than your love walk. See, these Christians at Corinth, they had a liberty in the truth that they knew. But Paul was saying, it's not more important than your love walk. You're arguing and getting into strife and division about the wrong thing. Knowledge without love leads to pride. If you don't purposely protect your heart against it and take measures to avoid it, you will get into pride. Because knowledge puffs up. It's what it does. That's what the word says. It's necessary, but needs to be mixed with love. It needs to be with the heart of love. And that's why we're, we're getting it. I want more so I can give more. I want to know more so I can give more. That's, what, that's the heart we need. If we're driven by the love of God in our, in our actions, our witness before others will be what we protect the most. Our witness before others. You see, Paul was saying, there's weaker people who do not understand what you understand. They do not know as much as you. They're watching you eat this meat and it's a stumbling block for them. Don't do it. He says, if I, I would rather not eat meat for the rest of my life if it causes my brother to stumble. Church, it's so true that we have, and I am speaking from my heart because I was at this place where when I came to the realization of the liberty that I had in Christ, I was like, well, this is what, I know that the freedom I have in Christ. I know the truth of the word of God. And, you know, I'm so thankful for the revelation that I have. So I'm going to do this. And I don't care what other people think because I know that I'm free. That's a stinking attitude. It's a stinking attitude because if the truth is that we are free, but if we're not using that liberty to love one another, we're not, it's everything we're doing is in vain. A posture of humility will lead us to care about the conscience of others. The condition of the food in question was not what was important. It was the unity of the body that was being compromised by a prideful stance in theology. People want, what theological certificate do you have? And they hunt for knowledge because they want to feel superior. I would rather lose an argument on theology if it closed if it kept the, do- the, heart of some- the door of someone's heart open for me to continue to minister. You see, it's not about being right. It's not about being right. It's about giving yourself an opportunity constantly to minister to people. And, there's, and I guarantee you, I, there's people, they know more than me. And I'll admit that there's people that know more than me. But it's not about what you know. It's about what you're doing with what you know. Obeying the command of Jesus to walk in love is more important than being right. 1 Corinthians 13 2 says, Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, if I have not love, I am nothing. If I have not love, I am nothing. 
Verse 13, now abide faith, hope, and love. These three, the greatest of these is love. We want more knowledge so that we can have stronger faith so that I can speak to this mountain and I can tell it to be gone. But when was the last time that we thought about our brother or sister? When was the last time that we, like I said, ached for the lost? We should never compromise our character in the pursuit of knowledge. Why? Because knowledge without love puffs up and it leads to pride. God isn't interested in how much we know. He's interested in how much we love. He's interested in how much you love. What greatness in the kingdom is found in your capacity to love. The greater your capacity to love, the greater <laughs> you rise in the kingdom, in Christ. And not in, your, not in yourself, but it's greatness. That's what greatness is. It's not, it's not a platform for yourself. It's a, it's a heart that can love more. We're not to remain in a place of ignorance of the truth. So this is what I keep saying. There's a balance. Yes, we, hunt, we, we seek more knowledge. Yes, we do these things, but it's with the right heart. We're not to be ignorant. I don't want to know more because I'll be accountable for what I know. That's the wrong attitude as well. Because we need to be able to know more of the truth so we can give more of the truth. Right? So we're not to remain in a place of ignorance of these things, but we're to use the truth we receive to help others become free. Leah, can you just come and play? The more we passionately love him, the more knowledge will come. And that's, that's what will happen. The more you passionately love him, the more knowledge will come. The difference is the knowledge won't build us up, it'll build others up. It'll build others up. We will begin to put the needs of others above our needs. We'll begin to treat our brethren the way we should. We'll begin to hurt for those that are broken and lost and separated from God. The pursuit of knowledge will build up that which will one day fade away. See, you can gain knowledge and you can build yourself something. You can build yourself a name, a, 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 you know a reputation or whatever on this earth but I'm telling you that's going to fade away but the love of God in us will build up that, that which will last for eternity love builds love matures love edifies and when we love like God has commanded us to love we build that which will last for eternity because it's not about getting what we want here in this earth it's about giving to others getting what they need to them what do we need to why do we want to learn church the reason we need to learn is so we can learn to love as in we need to learn in order to love the more we learn, the more we can love. Take every opportunity to learn, but don't pursue the knowledge of God over God himself. Don't pursue the knowledge of God over God himself. People graduate with doctorates in theology. But I'm, I'm telling you, there's many that don't know him. They may know a lot about him, but they don't know him. And what's going to matter, you can't take your certificate when you stand before Jesus and say, look, look how much I learned about you. He's going to say, who are you? Those that love God are known by him, is what it tells us in 1 Corinthians 8. Those who love the Lord are known by him. It's one thing to know God, but I want to be known by him. Does he know you for how much you love him? Use the knowledge you gain to love more. 
1 John 4, 8 says, He who does not love God, sorry, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So you can take all the knowledge, all the theology, all of the information that you can fit into your head. But if you don't use the knowledge to love like God commanded you, you know nothing. And you certainly don't know God. You may know a lot about him, but you don't intimately know him. As we gain more knowledge in our pursuit of the Lord, we need to make every effort not to allow this knowledge to lead us into pride. We need to protect the condition of the heart over the advancement of the mind. A position of true humility will continue to desire more knowledge, but it will come from a pure heart with the intent of blessing others. It always circles back to love. And look, check this now. Pride looks inward. Humility looks upward. And as long as you're looking upward, you're in a position to be given outward. Humility will always look up, church, because it's humility is declaring who God is. It's looking into who He is. And as long as you're looking up, you're in a position where you can give out. But if you're in pride, if there's areas of your heart that you haven't surrendered to God, there's going to be a part of your heart, there's going to be a part of you that's always looking inward. And it's hindering your ability to give outward. And church, that's not only is a rebellion against God, but it's you're fighting against him. You're, it's a, you're in military action against him. You're warring against him. This is God's plan. Hearts that are pouring out. It's his design. It's his plan. It's his heart. So I want to encourage you this morning. Stay humble and love big. Because we can't love big unless we stay humble. If pride's there, it's going to affect how we love. So I just want to ask everybody to stand to their feet. Just everybody close their eyes and just, I just want to close with this moment with the Lord. We've spent many weeks here talking about pride, talking about humility, talking about what the Word says about these things. And I'm trusting that we have an understanding, a better understanding of some of these things. And I want to just take these moments. I want everybody, as their heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I'm not going to call anybody out or embarrass anybody, but... Don't be worrying about what others think because let me tell you, that is pride. That's pride. Insecurity is pride. What? Do you truly care about? It should be what God thinks. But I want to just give us this moment. I want, just while we're standing here in the Lord's presence... If the Holy Spirit's been tugging on your heart, revealing to you about things that you need to surrender, that you need to let go of, and he's been showing you this here that you're holding on to, this here that you're dwelling on, this here that you're acting upon, or whatever, it's all pride. And if you think about those things for a moment, you will find, and I guarantee you, you will realize that those things, they're hindering you from loving others to the capacity that you should be. They're hindering you from loving big. They're hindering you from coming to that place where the Apostle Paul was. I would do anything if it means my brother or sister would get right with the Lord. I would do anything if it means my neighbour next door.
doesn't need to go to hell. But can come to know the truth that I know because of what Jesus done for me. Because let me tell you something, church, what people think of you, you won't care about that when you take your last breath. But what you will care about is what you've done for the Lord. And whether or not you obeyed what he was telling you to do. So Lord, we humbly come before you this morning. And we humble ourselves under your mighty hand, Lord. Holy Spirit, if there's any pride there, show us. So we can enter into your grace that empowers us to cut it off, to say no to those things and lean upon you, Lord. Help us get to that place, Lord Jesus, that we don't care what others think or we don't care what happens to us. We just care about what happens to others. Because God's love is the greatest, greatest example of sacrifice. Jesus separated himself from the Father so that he could give us life. He gave his life and he said, this is how you're to love one another, the same way that I loved you. That was in death. Church, I believe so strongly in my heart that what we're believing God for, what we want to see in this land, the revival that we want to see and to usher in this move of God, it's going to require us to love harder. Because the church has become so self-centered instead of Jesus-centered. And when it's Jesus-centered, the purpose is always people. It's not about your ministry, your calling, or any of those things. It's about people. People are your purpose. That's why you have a ministry. That's why you have a calling. It's for people. So Lord, we thank you for this moment. Let us make this moment count Church, you can choose to hold on to these things, but I'm telling you now, they're only going to harm you. And let me tell you this, let me warn you, you do not want to fight against God. So say no to your flesh and deal with anything in your heart that has stemmed from pride. And get up every day and say, I humble myself today, Lord, under your mighty hand. Use me as you see fit. And I guarantee you, you'll begin to love more like you, bigger and harder than you ever have done before. So Lord, we recognize the empowerment that's there for us. We grab a hold of it. We walk in it by faith. And we say every single day, we're doing it with you, Lord. So forgive us, Lord. We repent of any pride in our hearts. And we ask that you forgive us, Lord, as we move on in humility, growing closer to you every day. We honor you, Lord. We praise your mighty name.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. your love that empowers us to change we love you Lord we thank you Jesus praise you Lord thank you Lord oh thank you oh Lord I thank you for this body I thank you for this day Lord I thank you Lord for this wonderful time in your your presence thank you Lord for that word that was went forth Lord from your heart that people will treasure it Lord protect it and put it into practice. There won't be just hearers only, but we'll be doers of your word, practicing it every day. We thank you, Father, for our week, Lord. We call it blessed. We thank you for your protection. You give your angels charge over us, keeping us safe in all of our ways. I thank you for the healing and health in our bodies, that no weapon formed against us will prosper. We thank you, Lord, that you bless our bread, you bless our water. You take all sickness and disease from the midst of us. We're the healed of God. Healing is our portion. It is the children's bread. And I thank you, Father, for healing and health in your body, that we will be examples of what it means to walk in the life of God. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, for opportunities this week to tell people about you. We love you, Lord. We commit our hearts to you, Lord Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for this body. And I thank you, Lord, that here at Island Church we're covered by your blood, empowered by your word, and anointed by the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. We are so glad you could join us for our latest message. We are located right in the centre of the town, and we would love for you to call in and see us. Details are on our website at islandchurchdundalk.ie.